Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session in both English or in French, and also group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website can be found at lifecoachdamageslive.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our last episode of Season 9, a very special guest and professional speaker and workplace consultant, Anthony Poponi. And just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Anthony, the floor is yours. Thanks, Dr. Dan. Appreciate you having me on the podcast today. Uh, my name is Anthony Boponi. I currently reside in Bend, Oregon, a community I chose. Maybe we'll talk about that today. And uh, I work in positive psychology, primarily a professional speaker on stages all over the place. And then uh, work in workplaces to really take the science of positive psychology and make it practicable, practical and applicable in uh, workplace settings so people are happier at work because we know happier people are more successful people. I agree. So are you like uh, George Clooney up in the air where he deals with people who are toxic employees and then he has to fire them? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I make the joke about, you know, I am Italian and so I have um, I have ways and means for removing toxic people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's really important. You know, if you if you really think about, you know, the science of in positive psychology, that all the research says there's one probably the most important thing that uh, <clears throat> that will come forward is relationships. You know, if you want to be happy in life, you better have uh, life enhancing relationships. And and you should, you know, there's two sides of that life enhancing relationships and removing the toxic relationships. Because if, if I were to ask you right now, I say, Dr. Dan, who's the most toxic relationship in your life? Somebody pops in your head usually pretty quickly. Yes. And that can be really debilitating, you know, and that can be really harmful in, in everything that we talk about today. It's and you have to think about your life kind of in three phases of like, there's a community part of you, like who you are out in the world, wherever you live, mm-hmm. who you are in your home, and then who you are in your workplace and how those days go and all of those aspects all play together and you can't act like they don't. And so, you know, I pay a lot of attention to like, well, if we make people happy at work, then they're going to be happier at home. And if we make them happy at home, you know, if they live in a community that fires them up and lights them up, that, that bleeds into everything else. And so it's a big focus for of getting people to pay attention to those patterns where things are intermingled. So does it does it all have to work in synergy, all three of them, when you talk you talk about relationship at home, at work, etc., for you to reach happiness? Or you can have somewhat because obviously, if let's say you have a member of your family that's toxic and you have to deal with them on a day-to-day basis, that's very hard to be able to get away from it. So how do you manage that? Yeah, that's really tough. Um, you know, our brains like it when we, um, when we have an issue to solve and we're working towards solving it. And what, what's really hard for us is when there is either uncertainty and things are so dynamic that it's not stable enough for us to pick a path forward. Um, or if it's something that we've tried really hard on, you know, and tried really hard on working on a relationship really hard. If it's a family member, how do you excise someone from your family? It's really hard to do. Uh, but you have to kind of let that go. And that's basically like, if you can get to a point of just saying, I'm not going to fix that, that relationship's always going to be hard and I'm going to be okay with it. That's kind of the relief you can give yourself in that situation. It's not perfect, you know, and nothing about happiness is perfect and nothing about happiness is, um, is 
is finite and nothing about uh, or concrete. You know, I think we're always paying it. I'm always paying attention to what's the dynamic in my life that that's really good. What's the dynamic that's really weak. And I use a, an activity. I use a, a little uh, worksheet with my clients. It's called, called the pillars of a balanced life that comes from positive psychology. And it looks at our lives kind of in, in eight aspects, you know, like fun and play, social life, uh, uh, romantic life, uh, your career, your, your uh, health and fitness, your, fun, you know, your financial security. And I look at all of those as sort of like batteries in a device. You know, the, the, if my laptop battery dies, there's only one battery. And then this conversation doesn't happen. But if I have multiple sources of power to power that, or, you know, think about any of your devices that have little AAA batteries in them. If there's more of those in there, then if one of those batteries fails, the rest of the batteries can, batteries can carry things. That doesn't mean you should ignore the battery that's, you know, not doing well. It means you should take that out and replace that uh, or fix that battery or charge that battery back up. And, um, you know, in our lives, if we have things that are going really well, they can buoy us through those other times that are those things that are not great. And, you know, some of those things are real easy to fix. And some of those things are harder, bigger decisions. And we have to pay attention to that. And I would say that the most important thing out of all those is when you're thinking about what you want to shift in your own life too, is just stay focused. And the name of my company is called Focus on the 40. And we can talk about why you'd like, but it's really about focusing people on what really provides lasting happiness. You know, I think that there's a lot of efforts out there to control us through materialism and those things that don't really provide us the happiness that we think they will provide us when we, we adapt. Now, do you feel, uh, Anthony, that if let's say everyone has a more of a proactive mind instead of reactive mind, it will remove the ingredient of stress in their lives, which means that if you are, like you said about the battery, if you have other batteries, available at your you know at your right beside you if let's say one dies you could immediately replace the other one so you were proactive about thinking about it and then that reduced the stress of being shut down by your laptop because the battery died so do you think that everyone has to think about plan b plan c plan d when they do anything in life to be able to avoid feeling the stress or not be able to handle a certain situation yeah i, I think that's that's a really great proactive versus reactive and Yes, as much as possible, right? And so if there's things that you can do in your life to just, like if you can identify the stressor, work backwards from how that started, it's probably very helpful. Um, you know, for, for some of the people struggling with money, you know, like if that's a constant thing in your brain, how do you fix that? You know, and then, you know, your brain's going to move on to other things uh, as a source of stress. But like, how do you get, res you know, resolve that one thing by being proactive about like just fixing that and getting ahead of it? Um, the other thing too, is, you know, the honoring kind of what we can and cannot control. I think we would all like our lives to be like, it, it would feel a little more comfortable. And I don't know that we would truly like it over time. If our life was easy, like we got up and all the food we needed to eat was in our house and yeah. we weren't missing the one ingredient. And then we had our nice meal and the kids got up on time and none of the kids were sick and the spouse was doing great. And, you know, like all, and you go to work and just all like, I'm just going to work and I'm just doing my job. And, you know, with one of my clients, they were like, we have a, a very skilled set of people. And instead of doing the proactive work that we would like to be doing to, about serving our people better, we're reactive all day long, just putting out fires, putting out fires, putting out fires, putting out fires. And so they recognize kind of in their own culture, not their, in their own culture, but what they needed out of the people at the second tier in that company was they needed stronger leadership so that those people could step up and there'd be less fires to put out and more kind of individual leadership and autonomy at that level. So yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. I think the other thing I would add to that is 
we have to quit thinking we control everything. You know, like that, you know, the locus of control is, is much smaller, you know, the, the <laughs> sphere of influence, this, this, the sphere we control, the sphere of influence and then the outside world, those, those spheres get bigger and there's more stuff as you go out that we just can't control. And you can spend all day long, you know, worrying and wallowing in those areas and it's not going to do anything. To, you're not going to do anything to change it. And all it's going to do is change you. You know, it's thinking those thoughts are just, it's, it's poisoning yourself and it doesn't do anything for the rest of the world. So when you, you go and do presentation about uh, the science of positive psychology, um, obviously happiness means different to all of us. Some people may want to be as wealthy as Elon Musk. Others would like to be able to have a healthier life. Others would like to have this or that, whatever, either materialism or not. But again, it's very personalized. So it's very hard to be able to kind of like discuss about something that is just so broad that it covers basically just little tidbits of everyone in the room. Yeah, that, that would be happy for me, or I would be happy if I have this or that. So it, it's a very complex science, the science of uh, happiness. So how do you try to narrow down in layman's term so everyone can actually understand and capture the core message of your speech? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I'm going to approach it in two ways. The definition of happiness is really important, right? And so in, even in positive psychology, we use the term sub subjective well-being, you know, and, or, or affective style. Because when I think of happiness, at least for me, the definition of happiness, I think about the highest moments. You know, if, if life is on a scale of negative 10 to positive 10, negative 10 is depression, anxiety, you know, the, the bad places that we don't want people to go. Um, and 10 is the elation and joy and the highest of high moments. I just had two friends in town this past weekend and we went out and we were just having a great time. Just, you know, three guys kicking around in town. I was showing off the community I lived in and we just had the best time. And in that moment, I was like, oh, this is just really fantastic. And in my mind, I was like, and this won't last forever. And that's completely okay. You know, I'm going to come back to the places in between the highs and the low. And I would call that contentment. Like, how do I feel about my life and sort of the absence of stimuli? And so I think that's part of it, you know, is that, you know, how do you, how do you trigger more of the good stuff in your life? And how do you get out of the low points in your life as quickly as you can, recognizing <clears throat> that they come, um, you know, and so where do you build resilience and how do you have grit and how do you, you know, resolve those issues and recognize the patterns when you're in those, in those valleys instead of on those, um, those high points. So I think that's part of, you know, that redefinition of being like, if you think that constant elation is the goal, then you're, you're fooling yourself because your brain won't let you do that. Um, and your brain is not wired to be that way or to, to be that way. Your brain is meant to make you feel good when you're doing things perceived to be good for your survival or the survival of your progeny, mm -hmm. kiddos, you know? And, um, and I would say the second part of this is like, you know, more directly to your question is when you're on stage and you have 500 people in front of you. How do you give them something specific that's meaningful to their life? Right. And the short answer is you can't, right? Um, you know, and, and all I hope to do with my audience is, is to show them about what we really know matters about happiness and what doesn't. And just to say, if you think you're going to put all of your energy here to have all the money like Elon Musk, A, you're never going to get there because very few of us ever can get to that pinnacle of that sort of income. Um, B, you may not be happier when you get there. You know, and Elon Musk may have his own money troubles, which might, might blow your mind. But, you know, people with millions and millions of dollars still worry about money. Yes. Right? <laughs> you know, they, they don't quit worrying about money. And, um, and so for me, it's a, a big just kind of you know, laying out the broad landscape and then just saying, here's things to consider that we know about what 
really make people happy. And what the science has said, these five areas are really the most important. And then they can pick. And, you know, I just try to say to my audience, I, I want you to find that one thing today that you're like, oh, that's me. Oh, that's the thing I have to do. Oh, that's the thing that's really disrupting my happiness that I'm going to take action on. And I feel like with if you can get an audience to grab onto that thing, whatever it is for them that's powerful, then that's the start of like a positive swirling upward for them. And, and that's the big hope for them. So the laws of attraction, uh, Anthony says that, you know, thoughts become things. If you, sure. that you've read the book, The Secret or watched the movie, um, Rhonda Byrne have missed a lot of details in between the thoughts and the things that can happen to you in your life, because you have to put the belief and action into it. But because of us human, I think it's human nature to be always self-criticize everything we do in life. We never really allow ourselves to tap ourselves on the back to say, we did a good job and yeah. I'm on my path to reaching happiness. But I think that the, the self-awareness, which a lot of people lack because either they're too afraid to see what's going on in their own lives and they focus too much on other people's lives. And then because they need to find some kind of red, I don't know, like a, some kind of security, a sense of security for themselves. And they stop living. That's the thing. They, they, they forget how to live their own life because they always try to live in the shadows of others. And this constant negativity that they feed in their brain, like Deepak Chopra said that there's around 70,000 thoughts crossing in our mind every single day. How do you manage them? How do you allow yourself to be able to say, okay, this thought, I'm not going to keep it for too long, but this thought seems to be on my way to reaching my happiness. So I know there's a lot of questions here. You can answer one by one if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a lot. It was big and it was really important too. So uh, I think on the grand scale, you know, I think positive psychology has identified probably three, three big patterns that people get into that cause them the most like turmoil up here. It, one is overthinking or rumination. Uh, and so just overthinking something through, like you said before, like I'm trying to be proactive. I'm going to plan out A through D that's a good thing. Like if then, if then, if then, like I have some scenarios played out, like if these things will happen, if you go too far with that and you plan out scenario a 270 subsection C, um, then you're stuck on your couch because you can never leave because you're worried about the scenario that you haven't solved. That's a form of self-sabotage. Right. And um, <clears throat> so I, but overthink thinking is important. And the ability for this brain to process scenarios and take in data and think through and live through those experiences before they happen, help us sort of predict potential outcomes. That's really valuable to be like, oh, if I did this, this, and this, and then that person does this, then this, okay. Oh, I don't want to do that. That's not the path to go now, right? So you can kind of uh, role play in your own life. It's valuable to a point. You have to recognize when you've gotten beyond the point of when it's valuable. Um, the other one is catastrophization. So what's the worst thing that could happen in that scenario and acting like that's the most likely scenario. So, oh, I, I made one mistake and I said a word really wrong on the podcast today and Dr. Dan's not even going to air this podcast or he's going to tell everybody out there that I'm not worthy of being a podcast host. And then because that happened, then nobody's going to host me on podcast. And then if somebody's going to find this podcast and then they're not going to hire me as a speaker and I'm never going to be able to get to do this again. You know, like, where did that all come from? You know, and, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so we can go down those paths, especially when we're, you know, like, you know, stimulated. And the third one is social comparison, you know, and it's probably the most painful. And, you know, the human mind um, deals really, puts a lot of emphasis on physical threats. Do I have food? Do I have water? Do I have safety? Do I have, you know, shelter? 
Once those are resolved, our brains shift over and look at social threats as just as important because we as human beings are very social. These brains formed you know, and evolved to, to function in groups and tribes you know, that kept us alive. Those tribes are important to our daily survival. And so we don't want to get kicked out of the tribe. And so if social comparison says that person is driving that car, and if I want to stay in that tribe and be friends with those people, I better own that car. Okay, like you can keep doing that forever. And the, the phrase that I love is a T-I-A-B-B, is there is always a bigger boat. You yes. know? And the story <laughs> of this is, you know, seeing these yachts lined up and you could look at the yacht and the smallest one in there and you and I would be like, that would be amazing. That thing is 50 feet long. It has all the accoutrements. I don't even have enough friends to fill that boat. And then you look down the line and then there's one that's 100 foot long and 250 foot long. And there's one that's 50 million and there's one that's 100, you know. Your brain will always want you to do that. That's your brain chasing resources and your brain will not stop chasing resources until you, until you kind of tell it to stop. So I think that's a big, you know, part of all that. Um, and then I think you might have to ask your other question because we went down a rabbit hole for a minute, but it was a good rabbit hole, I think. <laughs> well, okay, so let's, let's discuss about um, the limiting beliefs that many sure. people have, okay? So let's say someone is on the way in like, you, you go and present your uh, your speeches and all that, but yet they always, I think that goes with the self-criticism, but they always think that I have failed starting businesses, I have failed in my relationship, I have failed this, this in that, etc. Now, how can you circumvent this mindset of someone who's, who has experiences? You cannot deny his experiences, but tell him that reboot your brain, think differently. Yeah, easier said than done, Anthony. But how do they put this into practice? Well, you keep asking really good, complicated questions. I like it. Oh. <laughs> it's, really, it's fun. I think I um, a lot of people told me the same thing. They got like, geez, is he doing this on purpose? <laughs> no, it's, um, but it's the human experience, right? Like you're really capturing like what, what we're all kind of, I mean, what you just said was when you were talking about that, I was like, well, yeah, that's my life. You know, and like, and that's the thing that I think we all have to pay attention to is that this perfect Instagram story that somebody's putting out there is not their true story unless they are fully happy all the time. And then I question the validity of that, uh, me too. <laughs> you know, because I worry about those people being on a precipice. And um, I think all those lived experiences are incredibly valuable. They make life rich. They make life painful at the same time. Like if you've never had your heart broken then you don't know what it's like and you're missing out on the beauty of some of the country songs out there. <laughs> you know, and like there's nothing like sweeter than feeling love and then hearing songs again and you're just like, oh, that's like, that's really beautiful. Like I really get that now, you know, when you're in, in, in touch with those things. And um, so, you know, there, we use this term emotional baggage all the time. And yes, we have emotional baggage. Some of it's negative, sure. And those negative patterns weigh really heavily on our brain. And let's come back to that. But we have positive emotional baggage too. Like we've gotten to this point in our lives because we've been able to navigate the challenges that are in front of us. Many of us have experienced trauma. Many of us have experienced setbacks. Many of us experienced failure. And we've dusted ourselves off and we've gotten back up. Now, the concern there about the negative emotions is that negative emotions weigh more heavily on us than positive emotions, right. you know? So positive emotions, literally like how we, when we feel good about something, it's a neurochemical. Our body says here, feel good about the thing you just did. And then it metabolizes and it goes away. Call it 20 minutes, right? I went to an amazing comedy show this weekend. Amazing comedy show this weekend. 
And I left there and relived the experience. There's some tools in there to get more out of that positive emotion by using nostalgia and reflecting and sharing that experience with other people. But eventually I move away from that experience, right? And I come back to where I was, back to my set point and that contentment. But when we have those negative experiences, they stick with us longer yes. and they trigger us and, and it turns on our limbic system and our limbic system wants to stay on because it's saying, I'm keeping you alive, right? And so we also need to like interpret those messages from our brain and say, listen, thank you, limbic system, that the bus honked its horn and I almost stepped out and I would have been maimed or killed if had I stepped out, but I didn't. And now we can like calm everybody down, you know? And so recognizing the messages is important. And I think we need to recognize those messages for, you know, one second, like, thank you. I heard the horn. I stepped back. I'm safe. Let's move on. You know, and it's, it's hard because those, those messages, those cortisol kind of, you know, fear induced messages are really powerful and they can stick with us for a couple of, a couple of hours, depending on the intensity. And if they happen early in our childhood, then they, they can have deeply, they can be deeply rooted for us. Right. Or if they happen in our teen years, or if it's something that's, you know, severely emotionally crippling. Like I, I had a really, uh, in 2008, 2009, when we had the financial collapse there. That was exceptionally stressful for me. I own four businesses in three different states, all relying on discretionary income and discretionary income went away. It, it, it ruined my body, you know, like it ruined my psyche uh, for a while. And it took a while to repair those things. And now I know that. And now I know what my life is like now. And if I can go relive those, I can be like, oh, this life I have now in this moment is so much better than that mm -hmm. now. Those, that was 13 years apart. I'm not telling you to suffer for 13 years and I didn't suffer <laughs> for 13 years, but I had to recognize that I was in a deep trough there and I needed help in that situation. And I didn't know it at the time, you know, and I think that that's one of the beautiful things that you said about in the beginning of, you know, in your introduction about the services that you offer. It's like, you know, our daily lives go like this up and down, up and down, you know, I feel good. I don't feel, I feel, oh, I feel great. I feel, oh no, I, you know, all those sort of things. And when, if we can stimulate more of these high moments, that's great. If we can recognize they're going to go away, that's fine too, right? But if we can recognize like, this is a dip and I'm in a, a low spot. Why am I here? Oh, I'm stressed out because of, oh, okay. Now that I understand that, I can get back up here to where I was at my level of contentment. But there's times when all those batteries are drained and we're in a bad way that we get down there and we can't get ourselves out, you know, and that we need to to change the, the, the acceptance and the, just the, like, oh, how's your, oh, I took today, I took today off. Oh, why, why are you taking a day off? Oh, I have to go to the doctor. Oh, that's completely acceptable. But how many people would say, oh, I have to take the afternoon off. Oh, why are you taking off? I have to go see my therapist. <laughs> You're right. Like, who's strong enough to say that? And no. have we normalized that enough? And we have enough. Because there's people down there in those troughs. And, you know, and, and, and the other thing that's really interesting is that in some of the research out there, if you have a society that has, high level of people that are depressed, it affects the rest of society. Oh, yeah, so we are like emotionally contagious with each other. And so, you know, that person's health is individually important. It's also important to the collective as well. It's around those people. So um, I don't know where we went there, but that, that's, where, that's where I'll pause for a moment. <laughs> we kept the right tension there, Anthony. But did right. you say that misery attracts misery? You know, yeah. those who are depressed, they feel that those who are happy they don't want to be, I mean, they, they feel guilty about why am I depressed? They are happy. I want to bring them down from their pedestal because I don't deserve to be here alone. And again, even though you said that we are somewhat interconnected through emotional vibes and all that, 
but at the same time, we, you know, we kind of like feel very jealous. And this level of jealousy that we have towards others about, as you mentioned, about why this person has a bigger boat, why they have a Lamborghini, why this. And actually, a few years back, Anthony, I saw um, a cartoon that de depicted exactly what you just mentioned. There was a guy on a bicycle, or no, a guy on a wheelchair looking at someone that was walking. He said, wow, he's walking. I'm on a wheelchair. The wheelchair was looking at someone who was on a bicycle. He said, wow, he has a bicycle. I'm going to have to walk. That's unfair. The bicycle was looking at someone who has a car. Oh, wow, he has a beautiful car. Then, et cetera, it then went and on and on. So that yep. that we always look at what is around us. And we always feel that we're missing something. And this, this missing something is always making us feel depressed. So it's a vicious cycle. And how to break that cycle is the million dollar question. Is that we always seek for more and it never ends. And we never say, even if we reach our ultimate level of success, we're always going to add those two words. What's next? Yep. Uh, beautifully said. Uh, I, the million dollar answer to your million dollar question is turn off your social media accounts. <laughs> yes. Don't watch and don't watch TV because you are just bombarded. And that those are all meant to trigger and control our brains into, you know, furthering this. And uh, that's it. I want to just spend a second to talk about, you know, my business is called focus on the 40 and here's why 50% of our, our happiness is, is genetic. We kind of come in with like sort of a genetic set point. That's a rough approximation, but it's, it's pretty important, right? So if your parents are really miserable, I'm very sorry. You start out, you know, potentially on that, you know, pessimistic side of the scale. And we know optimists are way happier than uh, pessimists. Correct. Um, 40% of your happiness is with, that's focus on your 40. Focus on the 40 that you can control, right? That's the stuff that you should be working on. And what's amazing is it's simple. You should have really good friends. You should live in a society that has shares your own values. Um, you should have a career that's fulfilling and challenging. Um, and the 10% is what, what you just talked about with the person looking at the bike, looking at the car, looking at the yacht, looking at the bigger yacht, is that 10% of our, our happiness, or the variability in our happiness, is based on life circumstance. So when you mentioned before, you were like, well, if I could just be as rich as Elon Musk and as influential as Elon Musk, I'd be happier. Or if I was married, I'd be happier. Or in some cases, you'd be like, you know what? If I was divorced, I'd be happier. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? If I had kids, I'd be happier. And then you have kids and you're like, you know, once the kids are going to be out of the house, I'm going to be happier. Or you're like, I wish my kids would call me. I'd be happier. And then you're like, you know, I wish what my kids would quit calling me. I'll be happier. You know? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, <laughs> I wish I had this job. I wish I had this money. I wish I was a different sex. I wish I was a different race. I wish I lived in a different country. All of those together, all of those together only affect our happiness about 10%. So you're focusing your energy on the wrong things, thinking they will provide you sustained happiness. And, and what we talk about in a lot of those situations is you're putting yourself on a hedonic treadmill, you know, hedonism, you know, that the thing that we're all chasing, that's the happy joy elation. We're not meant to experience that all the time. You know, if we did that all the time and we stayed at one of those uh, hedonic resorts, you know, it, Eventually, over time, we're like, okay, you know, like, what's next, you know? <laughs> and, you know, we all need that, that mix for us. And so getting off that treadmill is important because if you think about treadmills, you know, I, I use this slide in presentations of there's a sign and it says happiness just ahead and the person's standing on a treadmill and you never get there. You know, and when you do get there, what happens is you adapt. It's called hedonic adaptation. And we adapt to the good things that are happening in our life. And, um, and then they don't provide us the happiness that they thought they would because we adapt to them. 
the new big TV, the new stove, whatever those things are, any of those, you know, sort of possessions. So it just doesn't happen. And, you know, that's, it's unfortunate that we, we are so bombarded with those messages. And I, I'm not saying that money is a bad thing. I don't want people to think that money is a bad thing. Um, the constant pursuit of money without an understanding of the why behind the money is important. You know, like yeah. I, I own a large TV. I think it's not, I know it's not great for me based on the science of positive psychology to watch four hours of TV alone by myself every day. Yeah. It's not going to make me happy. Um, for some people, it really may. Like, so I don't want to say that that's not for everybody, but I'm more on the extroverted side of the scale. And that's, I know I need to pay attention to that. Now, having a big TV so that I can use that big TV to throw a party and have people over and watch a football game or a hockey game or a, whatever that is, that, that social connection, that's super, super important to the human brain. And so, you know, paying attention to this is important. So how can our listeners or even like organizations who wants to hire you, how can they find you, Anthony? Well, I'm a raging narcissist. So my website is my name, anthonypapone.com. <laughs> you know, and I'm on all the social media channels, uh, LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. But I'm not on Instagram because I don't take good photos. <laughs> well, Anthony, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your extensive knowledge. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode, and I'm very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season 10 of the Happiness Journey podcast, filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Here are some concluding words of wisdom. Zig Ziglar once said, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help others people get what they want. That holds true, especially when you lend a hand to someone who is down and struggling to get up. We must pave the path to others who are also motivated to reach success by guiding them properly and teaching them what we have learned throughout our personal journey to wealth. They deserve the experience the same. There's so much abundance out there that every single person on earth can live comfortably. Putting the laws of attraction at work, you can start thinking positively about your goals and dreams, putting the action and beliefs so you can experience happiness. Helping others along the way can amplify that level of joy and continue paying it forward. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.